verses 31 through 35. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I will tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. As a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Amen. Thank you, Kyle. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, I'm Pastor Goose, uh, Pastor Martin. Um, you can call me Goose. One of the pastors, two of us, Pastor Pete and I, we lead, uh, we lead uh, the ministry called RK here, uh, where we are uh, made up of junior high students, high school, college, young adults, uh, and we worship together on Sundays. And as you know, there's a couple things that look a little different today. Um, uh, there's a lot more people here. Uh, that's also because there's another ministry of KCPCH called uh, CCC, Christ-Centered Community. And uh, they also gather here as part of the larger body called KCPCH. And they also worship on Sundays on the other building. And they're, um, they're here today with us. So we're joining together um, uh, today as a special uh, joint worship um, just to remind ourselves that, you know, we're not defined by our own, like, departments or whatever in our church, but we're one church, uh, KCPCH, that God has called uh, people to come together to, to be his people here uh, in, this, in this part of the city. So uh, today is just a reminder that, that we're a part of something much bigger um, and that we uh, have joined together as a special uh, service um, as one body in that way. So, um, so as you look around, yeah, things look good. If you're new, sorry, if you're new, um, Thank you so much for, for being with us today. Uh, we welcome you, and um, things do look a little different, so just, just uh, you know, don't be, just wanted to let you know that um, this is, you know, a special, you know, occasion or service, whatever you call it, but it's cool. It's great. It's one of those times where we can really just come together as the people of God and worship and celebrate uh, and be reminded that we're part of something, part of something bigger, so welcome uh, thank you for joining us if you're new, if you're a guest or a first-time visitor. So, um, <clears throat> And also, um, we have this really cool, you know, I don't know what you call it, backdrop on our stage. This pallet wall. Yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome. Um, and uh, one of our students, Yunsu, uh, he, he, this was his project uh, for, um, uh, for, his, for Boy Scouts, right? And so uh, he graciously provided his you know, time and money, and, and he had a crew and a team who worked and put this all together to kind of beautify our stage and our worship. So just want to give a shout out to him and, and everyone who helped. So thank you so much. This is, um, this is awesome. Yeah. All right, cool. Um, all right. <laughs> um, and... Uh, <clears throat> let, me, let me pray for us one more time, 
real quick before we get started. Father, thank you so much um, for this time where we can just gather as your people and uh, give you praise and, uh, and worship you and um, uh, just be reminded that we've been called um, from before the world began uh, to, to be saved into a, a kingdom, saved into a family um, by your grace. And so we're here not because we're, uh, we've done anything special or because of what we've done, but we're here by your grace. Um, and we thank you for receiving us. We thank you for, for Jesus. And we want to proclaim him at this time and proclaim the good news of Jesus so that it can remind us of who we are and why we exist. And, and just a, what a beautiful picture and opportunity that we have together to worship uh, with, with different ministries of the church in one room so we can remind ourselves that, that we're much bigger, much, there's something much bigger going on here than just our, our own little services. And so I pray that you would speak to us through your word uh, and use me, help me to be faithful to the word uh, that, that was read. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so um, we, uh, this summer we had several mission trips uh, going on, and, and one of them was our inner city of Houston uh, mission trip. And uh, we had about 25 people uh, spend a week visiting the various ministries of Houston, uh, food banks, homeless shelters, rehab centers, um, visiting neighborhoods and, and finding people experiencing homelessness, meeting their needs, hearing their stories. And, and it was a wonderful time of just eye-opening, just seeing that God is working uh, in our city. Um, and, and all our students, I, I met with each student during that time, uh, 23 of us, and my wife and I made 25, and uh, I asked them, like, you know, how would you rate, you know, your experience on this trip? And, and, and it was all like eight, eight or above, right? And I was like, so what's, um, uh, what sticks out to you? What, what are you going to, you know, remember? What are you going to take home from this? Uh, or how do you want to live differently? And all of them, uh, if not many of them, if not all of them replied, I want to stay on missions mode. I want to stay on missions mode. I'm like, did I, did I teach, did I teach? Teach, where did that word come from, missions mode? But it somehow came up, right, in our, in our team. And I was like, I want to stay on missions mode. And I thought, right, what is missions mode, guys? Tell me what it is. And, and, I, and I surveyed a few of our, of our students, and they said this. To me, missions mode means being locked in without distractions and really focusing on serving the Lord with my community and truly giving it my all. And uh, so that's what is missions mode. And why do you want to be on missions mode? I feel missions mode is a need rather than a want to me. We all need to get away from our distractions and need to truly connect with one another and create relationships through God while serving the Lord with the community he has so graciously provided us with. Another student said, missions mode means that I can endure and spread love, learn and teach the gospel, cry and laugh with my peers through thick and thin. Why I want to stay on missions mode because uh, it made me view the world in a different perspective where I could live my life in a happier way and that it's all because of God. I really enjoy myself when I have God in my life and that I can learn more and more about him. Another student said, missions mode is being able to work together as one to spread God's love unto each other and those who need it. Why I want to be on missions mode is to help me love unto others and remind me that I am not the center of the universe. Uh, and lastly, another student said, missions mode is when I think of, when I think of missions mode, I just remember focusing on two things God and fellowship. That's really all we could focus on, and it was awesome. I want to stay on missions mode because that's why I love missions so much, focusing on God and fellowship. There's no distractions, and you get to be so raw and honest with yourself and others. 
So a few things, the common things that I heard just from everyone's, from our team sharing was that uh, it's about focusing on God, right? Uh, and doing his work, being on missions, serving him. And there was about community, being together, doing it together, and getting to know each other. And the third thing was growing closer to God. A lot of uh, a lot of the students said, uh, I was far from God. I want to I use this trip to get closer to God, to experience him and encounter him in a powerful way and, and, and you know, boost my, my, my intimacy with God. Um, and, so, and so I love this, this, this mission, missions mode thing. But what it kind of, you know, uh, what it kind of, uh, what do you call it, uh, implicates is that, you know, is it something you turn on or off? Is missions mode just a certain mode you're on some days, summer, uh, but then it's off on other days, right? Because um, sadly, you know, we, we, if, if we're honest with ourselves, maybe we're not always on missions mode. Uh, as the new year begins, uh, many of us are back to school or heading back to school soon and starting school soon. Uh, many of our calendars are starting fresh. We had, you know, I understand CCC, your tree groups were on break over the summer. And, you know, for us, RK, we had, you know, we were on break with our fruit baskets. And, and so now fall is back and we're starting again. So I'm asking, I want to ask ourselves and encourage, and encourage all of us, um, uh, should we always be on missions mode? Uh, should we, uh, you know, where are we? You know, where are we? Isn't, isn't missions something, not just what we do, but, but who we are, who we're called to be? And so I want to ask ourselves, why, why do we exist here? Why do we gather on these Sundays? What, what is church? Because a lot of times we use that as like church is something we go to, right? I, I want to go to church. But, but when we read scripture, it's, church is who we are, right? We don't just go to church. We are the church. And, and how are we defined? And um, uh, are we being the church that God has, has set, called us to be? The church that God says we are. And I want to ask ourselves, be honest with that. Like, because um, a lot of times, you know, uh, this American culture has, has changed this idea of church in that it's, it's very consumeristic. You've probably heard that. That's about, you know, uh, we, you can choose what church you go to. You can see what programs they offer. If it's good for your kids or your family. Is the worship good? Is the sermon good? Are the people nice? And, and a lot of times we get into that mentality of, uh, I can choose, you know, what church is good and what church is not good, you know, in terms of how is it serving me? How is it meeting my needs? And let's be honest. Is that how we think from time to time? Maybe the younger students, are you here because you get to see your friends? You know, friends are a great thing, but is that the only reason why you're here, you know? Um, some of us older, or is it because we're, it's just cultural? It's just what we've grown up with. It's just something we do. And we kind of missed out on the focus and the bigger picture. Or maybe for some of us older folks, we're comfortable. It's comfortable here. You know, it's, you know, we got our little, we got our families. You know, we got our kids are taken care of. And, you know, the time is right. Building's nice. Let's, let's really be honest with ourselves and ask us, what is our drive and motive for the church? And I, in this scripture, the passage we read, that was read today, thank you, uh, I believe gives us insight into who we are, right? And the title of my message is, A Family of Disciples on Mission. 
a family of disciples on mission. And I believe this text, um, we can draw out from this text those three things, mission, disciple, and family, right? And so these are the three things I want to point out so that we can, as we begin the new year, so to speak, this new fall kind of year as, as the church, uh, let's really go into it reminding ourselves who we are, what, what our bigger purpose is of the church. And there's, and there's so many, but I want to focus on three things that I feel like this text draws from us, can draw out for us. And one is it's the glory, the glory of God and mission. The glory, of, or Jesus, the glory of Jesus and what it has to do with mission. Okay, The glory of Jesus and the mission. Secondly, it's the authority of Jesus and what it has to do with discipleship, being a disciple. So glory of God and mission, authority and disciple. And then thirdly, the commandment of Jesus and the family. What does it mean about us being family through this commandment? Okay, so those three things, glory of God and mission, authority of God and discipleship, the commandment of Jesus and family. So the first thing, the glory of Jesus and what it means to be on mission uh, as the church. Uh, so how, does that con- how is that connection made? So verse 31, verse 31, therefore, when, we ha- when he had gone out, talking about Judas, the traitor, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and he will glorify him immediately. Okay? So, so let me set it up for us a little bit. Um, the, the, they're having the Last Supper, right? Uh, and, uh, and Jesus had just also washed the feet of his disciples. Okay? And then, if you read earlier, um, he says... One of you will betray me. And the disciples are, oh, shoot, is it me? Is it you? Who is it going to be? All right? They're looking around. And then there was reclining on Jesus' uh, chest a, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. And we know it's John, right? The, the, John the disciple. And so Peter just like, John, John, ask him. Who is it? You know, who's, who's the traitor? And so, uh, and Jesus, and so leaning back, on Jesus, Jesus says, to, he says, Lord, who is it? And Jesus then answers, that is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. He's going to dip a piece of bread uh, in the wine, and he's going to feed it to whoever it is. But apparently no one else heard it because after this, everyone's like, whoa, what's going on, right? So, so when he had dipped the morsel, he took it and gave to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. After the morsel, Satan then entered him, and Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. And the disciples are like, what, what does that mean? They're like, does, does Jesus mean, like, since he was the taker, you know, carer of the money, does he mean to go feed the poor or do something? Like, what does that mean, go and do quickly? They had no idea because Jesus whispered to John what was going to happen, that Judas would be the, the, the one to betray him. And now we come to verse 31 where it says, Therefore, when he had gone out, when Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. What? How is that glory? He's about to be betrayed. In just a few hours, he's going to be praying in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, Lord, if you will, take this cup from me. I I can't face the wrath of God for all the sins of those that you would save, all the people that you would save, the wrath and the punishment I deserve. And he's praying, and he's praying sweats of, of, of blood. And then soon, in just a few hours, Judas will come, 
reveal the place where Jesus is. He'll be arrested. He'll be, uh, he'll, be, he'll be arrested and mocked and beaten and spit upon and crucified. And so we have a, 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 the, the darkest hours uh, of Jesus and, and facing eternal death for his own about to happen. But now is the Son of Man glorified. This was, this was all, this is the climax, this is the pinnacle of his glory, of the essence of who he is. This is how I, he, our Jesus, will shine brightest. This is how he is maximally magnified as to who he is. He is the self-sacrificing Savior. The pinnacle of his glory was not in healing of the sick or casting out demons or raising Lazarus from the dead. Yes, that was part of his glory. But it is now when he'll be betrayed, arrested, beaten, mocked, whipped, and crucified on a cross in order to take your and my hell upon himself. And thus, he is glorified and God is glorified in him. You know, we, we get so familiar with these with, the, with this message that sometimes we lose the wonder. So sometimes we need to hear uh, different, different illustrations to, to bring us back, that points us back to Jesus, right? Uh, Chuck Colson told this story of a, of a group of American prisoners of war uh, during the Second World War um, who were made to do hard labor in a prison camp, right? American prisoners of war, they're doing labor in a prison camp. And each had a shovel and would dig all day, then come in and, 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 you know, turn in their tools, turn in their shovel. One evening, 20 prisoners were lined up by the guard, and the shovels were counted. The guard, the enemy guard, counted 19 shovels and turned in rage on the 20th prisoner, demanding to know which one of you did not bring back the shovel. And no one responded. The guard took out his gun and said that he would shoot five men if the guilty prisoner did not step forward. After a moment of tense silence, a 19-year-old soldier, many of us here, right, close to that age, 18, 19, um, stepped forward with his head bowed down. And the guard grabbed him, took him to the side, shot him in the head, and turned to warn the others that they better be more careful. Be more careful than he was. And when the guard left, the men counted the shovels, and there were 20. The guard had miscounted, and the boy had given his life for his friends. Just can you imagine the, the emotion uh, uh, that must have filled their hearts as they knelt down over this body in that moment of uh, the few seconds uh, before his life was ended? He weighed his whole future in balance. Possibly marriage, possibly kids, another education, maybe, you know, whatever it may be, a career, time with his friends, whatever that future holds, he chose death so that others might live. You know, Jesus loved us in this way, but so much more. The boy died so others could live. But you know what? He didn't have to die. The guard's stupid mistake. He miscounted. Stupid guard. <laughs> but make no mistake, before a holy and perfect and faultless God, somebody had to die. Somebody had to pay the price and pay the penalty. 
Because before a holy God, he can't just let it slide. He can't just tuck our sins under the rug. Sin must be dealt with. It must be punished because he's a just God. Deserves his wrath and punishment. And Jesus, the son of God, perfect, sinless, took your guilt, took our debt, took our mistakes, our sins, our rebellion, our brokenness, our guilt and shame upon the cross and took our hell on the cross and he took our place so we could have his. So that we could become children of God. So that we could live and not just live and survive, but thrive and have all the promises and the blessings of God that we don't deserve, but that Jesus earned in our place through his righteous life. And that is how now the Son of Man is glorified because that's what he's going to go through. He's going to die on the cross and he's going to rise again in three days. And this is his glory, that he should die so that we could live. And so how does this point to our mission? Because it was God's mission. It was God's mission to come and save us, to send his son as the perfect sacrifice as the perfect life, who would live the perfect life that we should have lived, and who would die the death that we should have died. It was God's mission from the very beginning to gather a people for himself. And it's a mission that's going to be finished and accomplished in the end. He's going to do it. And that's what the story of Scripture is about, God's mission. So God's mission to glorify himself, namely through the through sending his son and his son dying on the cross and rising again. That glory now is our mission. Because it's the mission of God that all will know the glory of him. So it's our mission. How are we doing with that mission? And I pray that as we see that we be reminded every week, we're reminded of the glory of God through songs, through the, through the preaching of the gospel, that this is what we're about. This is our mission. It's not what we do, but it's who we are. Is to reflect him, to reflect the beauty of Christ. And to get this message out, we have to get this good news out. We have to get it out. We have to proclaim that God is here in Jesus. The king has come and the king reigns. We have to get this message out. This is our mission, church of God. And so that everything we do as a church must point to this. Every activity, every small group, every Bible study, it must point to the mission of God to glorify himself in his son and in the death of his son. And I, I encourage us to, to come back to that. That's, what, that's who we are. That's what we're about. We have to get this message out. We have to proclaim it through worship, through our lives, through our outreach, through everything we do, may we reveal the beauty and majesty of who God is in saving us and giving us what we didn't deserve. The second thing that the scripture points to is the authority of Jesus and what it means to be his disciple. The authority of Jesus. So if you're a follower of Christ, if you, if you see the mission of God and you believe that, that he has called you unto himself, and that is our mission, 
then we are his disciples. We are his disciples. And our authority, our master is Jesus. So in verse 33, it says, little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You'll seek me, and just as, just as I said to the Jews, so now also I say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. Basically, Jesus is saying, in just a few more hours, I'm going to be arrested, and I'm going to be crucified. And the day-by-day physical fellowship between the master and the disciple will cease. And by his death and resurrection and ascension, Jesus will go to the Father. And so at, this is the start. John chapter 13 is just the beginning of one of the greatest uh, teachings and, and, and uh, messages of Jesus given to his disciples and to us. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. But what he says is, um, I'm going to be away from you for a little while, right? And you'll join me, and you'll join me later because I'm going to return. But, but until then, a new commandment I give you. If you are part of the mission of God, if you've been called, if you're a follower of Christ, a new commandment I give to you. This is, as, the, as, as our master, as our Lord, as our authority, Jesus says, here's a new commandment for you. To love one another as I have loved you, and by this, all will know you are my disciples. So if you're a follower of Jesus, a Christian, a child of God through faith in Christ, seeing the mission of God and what he's called us to, how he saved us, you're a person under authority, authority the authority of Jesus. You're not your own. We surrendered our thrones as our own little kings, and we submitted to Christ as our king, and, and our heart is, let your kingdom come. Your will be done. I join you on your mission because you saved me. I owe my life to you. I submit myself under your reign and your authority as king over my life. So everything that happens in my life, I'm going to trust that you're orchestrating it and using it for your purposes because you have a mission, God. And if my life's a part of that, it's a part of your masterpiece. So I trust you. Come what may. I trust you, Jesus. My life is yours. I follow you. I obey you. And he lets us know what he commands, how he wants us to trust, what promises to hold on to, and also how to live how to obey him as Savior, as Master, as Lord. And so this is not a new suggestion. It's not a new idea or possibility or an option. But he says, a new commandment I give to you so that the world will know who your master is, who you belong to, and that who is the greatest king of all kings, joy of all joys, Lord of lords. This is how all will know. New commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And by this, all will know that you are my disciples. Your life as my disciple under his authority will reveal the true king of kings, will reveal the mission of God to make his glory known. So, so I ask you, whose, whose disciple are you? How does, what do our lives reflect in, in discipleship? Who do people see as your master? If they see you, do they say, oh, okay, I know who, what you've given your life to. I know what you're, a, what, what you're an apprentice of, what you're a learner of, right? Is it, is it, is it your grades? Is it beauty? Is it, is, it, is it popularity? Is it success? We all have a master. And Jesus says, we cannot serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. So who's your master? Who does your life reveal and reflect? Because we're all, we're all disciples of something. And we're all discipling 
the people that we influence. Uh, years ago, <clears throat> years ago, I was uh, imitating. I was a disciple of something. Um, and, and for me, even though as a pastor, I, I knew, yes, God, I'm, I'm a pastor for you. Years ago in a church that I was a part of, a uh, pastor of in, in San Diego, I, I, I realized that uh, I was trying to imitate uh, a successful church. Not, not biblically, but what is a successful church in America? I was trying to imitate what a good church should be. And I confess that I wasn't being a disciple of, of, of what the church is in here, of what the church should be here, described in here. But I was a disciple of what the church looks, how the church looks good in our eyes in America. And so I focused on, I focused on programs and, 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 and a good service, good preaching, a good youth group, a good Sunday school, good small groups, good ministries, college and youth. I was focusing on having all these good things, which is good. But was I reflecting uh, the discipleship of, of, of being a disciple of Christ? Loving the broken. Loving those whom Jesus loved. You know, an author said that if we're not attracting the same kind of people Jesus was attracting, tax collectors and prostitutes and, and sinners, then maybe we're preaching the wrong gospel. And I have to face that reality. Am I just trying to build my own kingdom as a successful pastor, and by the grace of God, he, uh, well, I don't know, if, well, in his bigger picture, some, the long story short, um, sadly, there was, a, there was a, a, a faction in the Korean ministry side, and many of the church members left, and, um, and, and sadly, our family had to leave that church because um, uh, they just couldn't support us. Couldn't support us, and uh, and so and so that at that moment of crisis, I, I had to really face like, well, what am I doing? Like, what am what, as a pastor? What am I called to do? Is it just to copy successful churches and 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 copy that, or am I really living as Jesus instructed us to live as the church? Are we making disciples? Are we preaching the good news to the lost? Our broken people, sinners that we would never thought in the world that we would associate with are now coming to know Jesus and, and being transformed. Are we, are we loving and the, the poor, the, the widows and the orphans like Jesus tells us to? You know, what's, what's my identity as the church? What church am I building here? So we ask ourselves too, who are we disciples of? Like what, what, is, what is our mission? And so I encourage us together that we all, we all together, we can't, we can't do this uh, on our own, right? Uh, being on mission, being disciples, being family, it's not something we do by ourselves. It just doesn't happen. It's just not designed that way. So we're all growing and we're all learning. But you know, we need leaders. We need those who can be, uh, who can reach out to the younger. We need, that's why we have this intergenerational ministry. Because it points to the fact that we're just not isolated. We're not defined by our own departments here. We're one church, 
one people. And that all of us are a part of making disciples, of reminding us to place all of our lives under the lordship of Christ. One, two, three pastors can't do it for a thousand people. We need leaders. We need people who will lay down their lives as servants and say, I'll, I'll love this person. I'll look after this person. I'll shepherd this person. I'll teach this person. I'll show them the ropes because I, I've matured a little bit and maybe, maybe I can help someone. Just maybe one or two people do the same and get to know Jesus. And so we have to do it together because we're always learning, we're always imitating, and we have to do that for each other. Knowing the word is important, but doing, being doers of the word is, is, is the other half. It's just like how we teach our kids. If you're, if you're a parent, we teach our kids day to day. We show them how to brush their teeth, put on their clothes, and, and when there's a, a fight between a, a, a brother and a sister, we tell them, you have to tell, share, tell them what offended you. Tell them what they did wrong. Work it out. Don't just run to mom and dad. Yes, we'll, we'll solve it if, it's, if it's, it's a big problem. Yes, we'll discipline the kids if it's a big problem. But that's all part of teaching and growing. And as they get older, we ask them, you know, uh, what, what do you struggle with? What are your hardships? What made you angry? What made you happy? What do you think God is calling you to do? What passions and talents has God given you? And we, we raise them up to live their lives for God. And in the same way as a family, as a church, we're discipling each other in that way. We're discipling each other in that way. To bring all of our lives under the lordship of Christ. So we must keep meeting together. We must get deep with each other. We must get real with each other. And one way we do that is through small groups, right? Through, through, through YAGs, through tree groups, through our junior high meetings, through high school meetings, through fellowship, through retreats, through missions, so that we can get deep and point each other to Jesus, remind each other of what Jesus has done for us and to bring all our lives under his lordship. And so that leads us to what is our focus then? The new commandment of Jesus. What does it mean to be family? So not only are we on mission, not only are we disciples, but we're a family to love one another. And that's the new commandment that Jesus gives to us. But how is it new? How is it new? He always told us to love one another. All from the beginning, through the law, uh, the Jewish law, love. Is, and Jesus even summed up the law as love, love God and love others. That's the second greatest commandment. Love others. But the newness to this command is Love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you. Now you will know. Now you know. And you will know even more clearer in just a few hours how I loved you. And this is what it means to be my disciples. To be a family. To love one another as I have loved you. So in this as I have loved you. In this this, this, this phrase here, it gives us two things, to, to live out the love of Jesus and to live on the love of Jesus. To live out the love of Jesus, the pattern of the way we live, and to live on the love of Jesus, the power 
in which we live, the power we, we, we have to live. In living out the love of Jesus, Jesus gives us the example. He just washed his disciples' feet. He laid aside his lordship, his rank, his prestige, his title, his privilege, and took the form of a servant. In Philippians 2, it says of him, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." The pattern is to lay down prestige and rank and age, especially in our Asian cultures, right? But to lay that aside and count others more significant than ourselves and to become servants. The second part of this pattern is that it was very practical. In those days, everyone walked and had sandals and the roads and paths were dirty and everyone's feet were, were caked with dirt. The dirty work had to be done. And Jesus did it for those who should have been doing it for him. And he laid down a sense of entitlement and he served in a practical, tangible way. What needs do you see around us? What needs do you see around us? How can we serve as Jesus served? Love as Jesus loved. That is the pattern. But in order to be able to do that, we need the power we need the power of how he has loved us. We can't love without knowing how he first loved us. And that's the power in which we're able to love one another, how he first loved us. How did Jesus love us? Tim Keller, in, in one of his books, says that in a, in a real world of relationships, it's impossible to love people with a problem or a need without, in some sense, sharing or even changing place with them. All real life-changing love involves some form of this kind of exchange. All real life-changing love is a substitutional sacrifice. You can't love without a sense of taking on the burden of another and giving of yourself and pouring out yourself. Think about it. If you love a person whose life is all put together and has no major needs, it costs you nothing. Yeah, you can love them, it's delightful, it's good, but if you ever try to love somebody who has needs, somebody who's in trouble, someone who's going to ask for your time and your money and your energy, your emotions, if you, if, you, if you ever try to love someone who's persecuted or emotionally wounded or broken or hurt, it's going to cost us. We can't love them without taking a hit ourselves, a transfer of some kind, a, a, a life changing, a substitution of some kind is required so that somehow their troubles, their problems transfer to you and you take that burden on. There's a lot of broken people around us who are sinking and hurting, desperately needing to be loved. And it's easy to just Oops, sorry, I'm busy that day, or oh, I'm sorry, I got to go. But true, life-changing love is a substitutional sacrifice. The only way that broken or hurting person 
is, is going to start filling up emotionally as if somebody loves them. And the only way to love is to let yourself be emotionally drained. Some of your fullness is going to have to go into them and you have to empty out to some degree. If you hold on to your own emotional comfort and simply avoid these people, they will sink. And the only way to love them is through substitutionary sacrifice. Do you see that? And God gave us the greatest example because we were so desperately in need to have God. Separated from God by our sin, our rebellion, and our brokenness, our enslavement, our hardness of heart, our blindness. We were dead in our sins. God, in his great love, saw our need, saw our need, saw our death, our separation, and sent his son to take our place, to give his own life, to live the perfect life for us, and to die the death that took on our penalty that we deserved so that we can be freed, so that we can have a new life. That is how he loved us. He became the substitutionary sacrifice for us. Sin had to be paid for. The debt had to be paid. And he was so incredibly loving that he was willing to die to do it himself. This is the power we draw from to be able to love one another. And, I, and I'll close with this if the praise team can come up, get ready to come up. The early church, the growth of the early church was, was exponential, was just in a matter of a few hundred years, from 12 disciples to, to millions of people to to. to Dominating the entire Western world of that day, Christianity just exploded. And there are many factors and reasons, the timing and the sovereignty of God. But one of those factors was that the disciples won the world to Christ because of their love for one another. Because they knew how Jesus so loved them and sacrificed and surrendered his life. They gave their lives to Jesus. And they began to live out this commandment to love one another as I have loved you. And the world took notice. Tertullian, a church scholar and author and theologian who lived in the late second and early centuries and witnessed the growth of this tremendous growth of the early church, noted this about the early Christians. He said, it is mainly the deeds of a love so noble that lead many to put a brand upon us. See, they say, how they love one another. For they themselves... The, the pagans, the, the non-believers, are animated by mutual hatred. See, they say about us, how they are ready even to die for one another, for they themselves would sooner kill. Justin Martyr sketched Christian love this way. We who used to value the acquisition of wealth and possessions more than anything else now bring what we have into a common fund and share it with anyone who needs it. We used to hate and destroy one another and refuse to associate with people of another race or country. Now because of Christ, we live together with such people and pray for our enemies. The other church got it. They witnessed the risen Christ who died for them and took their place and they got it. They knew that that was the mission of God. They saw the glory of Jesus. They got the mission. They became disciples and submitted to the authority of Christ. And they became family. And they loved one another. 
They sold their possessions and belongings and distributed the proceeds to all as they had need, Acts 2.45. They cared for the sick and the widow and the orphans, especially in the midst of crazy outbreaks and epidemics and disasters. They cared for those who couldn't care for themselves and not just their own, but the non-believers. When a devastating plague swept across the ancient world in the third century, Christians were the only ones who cared for the sick which they did at the risk of contracting the plagues themselves. Meanwhile, pagans were throwing infected members of their own families out into the street even before they died in order to protect themselves from the disease. But the believers, they took them in. Even though they were not their own people, they took them in and they loved them and they cared for them. Another striking difference was that Christian communities were multi-ethnic since their common identity in Christ was more fundamental than any racial identity. And therefore, they, they took on people who were not like them. They invited them in. They loved on them. And that was unprecedented for any religion. In Greco-Roman society, it was fine for married men to, to sleep around with temple prostitutes and, and otherwise. But Christians abstained from any sex outside of marriage and they loved their wives and they valued their wives as Christ loved the church. And any of the unwanted offspring from these, 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 these uh, extramarital affairs, any of these unwanted offsprings, they easily aborted these kids or, or, or thrown them out in the streets. But the Christians, they, they, they cherished life and they, they were against abortion and they rescued babies that were thrown out these acts of love as they, real, as they believed in wholeheartedly how Christ has loved them, they poured out their love for one another in this way. And Christianity just exploded. Church, we're called to be on mission as growing disciples under the authority of Christ and to love one another as family. And the good news is is that this is how it was designed, not to do it alone. This is the plan of God from all along, to gather a people for himself. And he has already accomplished it. It's already done. He saved us. He saved his people. That's why Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. The church's mission is grounded in God's mission. To glorify himself through his rescue plan accomplished by Jesus. And then God sending the spirit to do the work of awakening and transforming and empowering lives. It's already done. It's already done. We've been called into that. We're not a group of friends who, who choose to get together and say, let's do this. But, but we're a family that God has already chosen from all of eternity in his son. Only because it's in Christ there is an assembly, a church of sinners drawn from every people and language that has been transferred from the kingdom of death to the kingdom of everlasting life. That is what the Bible is about. That is what's going to be accomplished. God's mission to redeem and restore sinful creatures and creation that lies in bondage of sin. God's people and God's place under God's rule. It's going to happen. It's going to be accomplished. God will be glorified in this plan. And we're not an extension or a further completion of this redeeming work. It's a result of the completed work of Christ. It's already been done. 
Jesus told his disciples, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Christ himself has redeemed his church and is now building his church in the power of his word and spirit. It's not a kingdom that we're building here. It's a kingdom that we're receiving. And as God pours out on us, as we live out this call, this identity to be on mission as disciples, as a family, may we live this out because it's been done. It's been won for us. May we receive God's plan. And as his disciples continue to receive his promise and obey him, making him known to the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you've called us. You've, you, you've set out a mission, the mission of God to save a people and to give us life and blessing and to be image bearers, to be those who go and, and are sent out to reflect your glory and to proclaim the news of the gospel, that God is our God and that we can come to him through his son, through Jesus. God has made a way for us to enter his kingdom that will be completed. God, thank you that this is what you've called us to. So God, may we renew our hearts to be on mission for you as a family of disciples that love one another as you have loved us. God, help us to get deep in our groups, in our friendships, in our meetings, to teach each other, to serve each other, and to be on this missions mode through all eternity, serving you, glorifying you until your work is is complete. Thank you so much, God, for this call to renew our hearts with a passion for you and for the gospel and to live this identity out. May your spirit work within KCPC to make us family, to lay down our lives for one another. The world will know who our master is. The world will know and see the beauty of our Jesus Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name.